Hi, this is Dan. And I'm Rachel. And this is Gay Gay with the Bible. Bible. We're two queer social workers. Working our way through the Bible. We're not Christians. We're not experts. We're just a couple of gays. Trying to figure some stuff out. Real gays. Real Bible. Welcome back. Welcome back. Good to see you, Rach. Good to see you, too. So today we are going to go through chapters 37 through 40, which begins the exciting tale of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Go, 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 Joe. I understand that you recently did a little viewing of a production. I did. Yeah. So I felt kind of bad because I had made succession plans with my wife that oh, to night. watch to the watch. show Succession. Yeah. And instead. Yeah. I was like, hey, <laughs> I kind of forgot I have some research to do. So we ended up watching that. It was quite the experience. But you want to know something kind of funny. You know how I always have the the weird repressed church memories. Yeah. So I thought that I did a production of this in choir but while i was watching that musical i realized that i was actually in this traveling like (laughs) do you know the young americans do you know what that program is no it's like a production program and they come to schools and they do like this big show and it's for all the music programs so it was kind of through choir yeah but it's like singing and acting and band and like they get everybody together we just did it at our school but it was definitely joseph and the technicolor dream code so you were involved in it some way through school yes through your through your public school yeah this wasn't a church thing it wasn't a church thing but it's but you also blocked out <laughs> yeah. this religious repressed memory. it like it yeah. was a church thing yeah yeah well i was listening to a little bit of it um and i am just sort of like it's very religious like it's very like i i bet like some schools might not even allow you to do this production i mean you can't even say christmas in yeah a lot i mean of this was the now. 90s so i mean i yeah. think that the rules yeah. were a little bit different but i just thought it was funny because i was like wait a minute how do I know these songs? And then all of a sudden it was like, we all had these different colored t-shirts on and we all had to come out at this certain time. And I'm like, this, that's what this was. So all the children. Well, I do. I want to hear more about it, but I almost wonder if like, we might have a special, like separate episode. That covers this. Maybe a mini-sode about (laughs) Joseph and the Amazing Technical or Dream. Yeah, we have to do the Donny Osmond version, though. That's the one I watched. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll see if I can sit through it. It's very 1999. Oh, gosh. I mean, the the clips that I saw looked earlier than that. It's something. Yeah. It's something. It sort of looked like Sesame Street to me a little bit. Yeah. Very much. Okay. Yeah. Love those repressed you, memories. Oh, and all, did all the words come back? No. Oh, no. okay. We didn't well, do every I probably song. haven't listened to it since, like, junior high or high school, which I listened to it quite a bit, and I did know a lot of the words still. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I it, it wasn't, like, the whole kitten caboodle here. It was, like, a few songs, and then we moved oh, musical okay. theater like, stuff. highlight. I hate that. Well... Like, when I was a kid, I was I'm like, sorry, can you just, just do the whole thing? I hate medleys. I'm just getting into a song. A new one starts. I hate highlights. Like, if you've got the highlight cast recording, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want the highlights. I want the whole show. What right. is this? Like, spend the extra $3. <laughs> 
Get the whole show. Yeah. This was an exciting read for me. Why don't you take us into Brosif and his fierce getup? Okay. So chapter 37. Uh, Joseph is 17 now, and he is Jacob's favorite son. Jacob gets him a very special, colorful coat to wear, and his brothers, all 11 of them, are not pleased with this. On top of that, Joseph walks around in his special little coat, talking about all these dreams. Dreams he has about growing crops, and how his crops are superior to his brother's crops, and how one day his brothers will all bow down to him. His brothers get really jealous of this, and they plot to kill him. They all go out into the fields, they find Joseph wandering around, and then they overtake him and throw him into a pit. They're ready to leave him there, when suddenly some Ishmaelite merchants come along, and they strike up a deal to sell Joseph to them as a slave. The merchants agree to buy Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, and the merchants take Joseph away to Egypt. Then the brothers, they take Joseph's very special little coat, they kill a goat, and they place the blood of the goat on that coat. There's there's a lot of rhymes here. They do this to tell Jacob that a wild beast killed him, uh, and they do that. They, They tell Jacob this. Jacob is distraught, he's grieving. The whole family tries to comfort Jacob, but he is devastated. The last sentence of the chapter is that Joseph is serving Potiphar in Egypt, who is an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. I did have a question regarding my summary. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to start with that because I feel like you'll know the answer because there was something Mm. that was confusing to me in this. And that was there's this moment, I feel like, where it describes um, Reuben Reuben like comes back for him. Do you want to fill that in? Because I, I, I can't fill it in too much. I, I noticed that too. It seems that the initial plan is to kill him. The initial plan for the brothers is we're going to kill Joseph. Mm-hmm. I feel like Reuben is the one that says, let's eh. not, let's not, let's not kill. Right. Let's just throw him in a ditch and and leave him Walk to away. his yeah. Leave him to his own own defenses and see what happens. Like let's not go all the way there. And it never says that Reuben goes away, but then it does say that Reuben returns. Yeah, and looks after, into the pit. Yeah, after they've sold him to the caravan. Mm-hmm. So I do get the impression that Reuben had nothing to do. With the with sale. The sale. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like Ruben was sort of like the, the moral compass and he he drifted off or he went away. They just didn't note that for us okay. because the the Bible. Yeah. Right. My friend said that we need to start saying Bible be Biblin'. Oh, Bible be Biblin'. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. The only thing that I would add in there is that Joseph also has this habit of tattling on his brothers. Mm. He gives reports, bad reports of his brothers to Mm -hmm. Jacob. Not that that justifies like (laughs) selling your, killing your brother or selling your brother. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll tie into some of my, my thoughts. Yeah. So so thank you for filling that in for me. My general impression (laughs) are that these brothers are ruthless, but read the room, Joseph, you know? Maybe mm. stop wandering around telling everybody all these dreams that they're going to bow to you. I mean, come on. You're fostering a very jealous environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't. 
I wrote, I can't get Donnie Osmond out of my mind. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I just couldn't. It, it was nice to have the visual. Like, I appreciated having a little bit of, like, some grounding in the story to know what was going on while I was reading. But it's just like, LOL, Donnie Osmond. Uh, I already discussed my repressed memory of the Young Americans musical. <laughs> so we already discussed that. And I just noted, like, more sibling rivalry. This seems to be a pretty common story theme that we're seeing here yeah uh, my questions i already asked were about reuben kind of returning to the pit and did he not think joseph would be gone i was confused about that sounds like there's not really a super clear answer the other thing i it's kind of a question and also an observation is that like i didn't there's no mention of god in this chapter mm. did you note that at all i'll have to look back on it i do have a thought about joseph's relationship with god okay yeah, I thought it was interesting, and I couldn't tell, like, because my impression of this is that it feels very theatrical because there's no mention of God. Like, it's purely feels like a story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this because I just watched the musical, or is this because that's what it is? So yeah. who knows? Yeah, I was in a similar headspace about some of these things. Like, does this feel tidier and more musical-like than other chapters because it was presented to me as a musical Right, we first? have, like, a conceptualization. Right. Yeah. We'll see. I'm curious what happens when we get to, like, the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. I guess we'll like, be able to... Like, will that feel like yeah. a musical? <laughs> I'm shrugging. Maybe that is what... Maybe we're supposed to write that music. You Do you know how to write music? Um, I don't know how to like write it. I couldn't write it for you to play, but I, I can wing us through a musical. If oh you my need. God. We might have to like <laughs> turn this into a, we might have to do a musical episode. I can't sing. Yeah. I'm not doing a musical episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it felt very theatrical. No mention of God. My likes is that it's, it's dramatic. It's theatrical. It's plotty. It's exciting. I couldn't get the songs out of my head while I was reading this, mm. probably completely unrelated to the, to, you know, the actual Bible experience, but it did add some pizzazz to the chapter. My dislikes are just the, the the sibling rivalry MO, as I discussed before, is just feeling a little tired to me. I don't know. I love my sister. I don't want to. Yeah. We're not trying to fight over corn stalks or I hear whatever. You. Yeah. Um, Sheaves. Yeah. And then my <laughs> other dislike is just that selling human beings is creepy and problematic in any, any way you want to spin it. So that was, that was my dislike there. Yeah. And it, I guess it didn't even occur to me until just now, until you said it, that I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I guess that's just how somebody becomes a slave. Like you just, yeah. you just up and sell them. Yeah. Like somebody's walking around a free person and all of a sudden you're just like, hey, I've got who this wants person my brother. who wants my brother. Yeah. Who yeah. won't shut his yap about <laughs> sheaves and stars. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, kind of a intense way to solve a family conflict but <laughs> hey what do i know what do you got dan I, it's pretty typical for the bible though yeah not at all surprised at this point right maybe even one of the tamer things that have happened um my general impressions i wrote down tricky sons for a tricky father Ooh, trickster trickster you know, like jacob yeah. this is his progeny so the apples don't fall very far from the tree. I also listened to like the first few numbers of the musical and I was like, oh yeah, this is following that pretty closely. I found the sheath thing to be very phallic. 
Mm, yeah. And also from like a male perspective of like my sheaf is strong and stands straight up and mm-hmm. your sheaf bends down. It yeah. all it all felt pretty phallic to me. Well, in the musical, too, in that number where they're talking about this, the brothers are making that motion. I'm making like a tiny dick motion. Oh, they do? Yeah. Okay. When they're talking about yeah. this. Yeah. The second line of the chapter, and it does this in other chapters also, where it starts off with, this is the story. Like, this is the story of, I just all of a sudden was like, this is the story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Got and through like, into oh, a well yeah. by my brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about like, does this feel like a musical because we know it as a musical first? The New Oxford Annotated Bible, the NOAB, it does note that this section, these chapters about Joseph are remarkably cohesive. There is a tidiness. It does lend itself very easily. Well, and maybe that's why it was... I'm putting easy in quotes because it's never easy to write something and produce something. Sure. But maybe that's why it was able to become a musical, right? Because it is tidy. Yeah. And I think we, I think in our mini-sode we can explore that. There was like a lot of religious musicals happening at the time. But I will say that listening to the musical, I had this thought about the brothers that I feel like I picked up on from the musical and not necessarily from the text of the Bible, that they're not just annoyed with his behavior. They are more so motivated by this prophecy. Like there's a line somewhere in the musical about like, oh, if what he says is true, we can't have this be. And so they then do this plan which they don't realize is this whole faded thing that sure. what they do is actually part of the plan. perpetuating yeah. the dreams that he's having the fate that he's he'll experience but they do say that in the music i don't know that that's um explicit in the bible that that's their motivation but it does make sense because everything's always about like who's god's chosen one and mm-hmm. who's who's gonna you know, have who's the closest most to them yeah. yeah exactly i did think that you know thinking back on our gay jacob conversation a couple episodes ago, I did also think like, oh, there's something kind of gay about Joseph, yeah. right? He's not a worker in the in the fields and with the sheep with his brothers. He, he's a dreamer. He's an interpreter of dreams. He clearly enjoys fabulous clothing. Right, I was going to say he wears a rainbow coat around. Yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> which also gayness, gayness, musicals might be informing me. I mean, I don't think of Joseph as like the gayest musical ever by far, but yeah, there just seems something a little, a little queer about Joseph. I'm here for for it. Yeah. So my little question, which I kind of addressed is, did Joseph's brothers dislike him? Because I I noted that he was a tattletale. So my question was, did his brosephs dislike him before he tattled or was that the cause was the the bad reporting was that the cause also he is the son of rachel Mm -hmm. so he is favored he's favored by jacob the research that i did said that the non-priestly narratives which are sort of like backup ancient backup text Mm -hmm. they say that the tattling is a very major factor that this is like sort of a, the inciting incident of sure. like we've had it with this guy. Now, my big question, and this is where you're going to get like, what are you talking about, Dan? In my translation, it just said a long robe with sleeves. Ugh. Nothing about colors. 
And I, I have your big capital long robe. Where's the many colors? <laughs> so of course I had to go find out what was going on. Like, what are these different translations of this? A long robe with sleeves is considered a royal garment. So the robe, the fact that it's a robe with sleeves and it's, it's like long, special. Well, it also indicates that he won't be working. Mm. He won't be toiling in the field. He is special. Right. right? He can't get his robe dirty. So. Yeah. Butter can yeah. melt. He's little Lord Fauntleroy. The coat of many colors is the King James translation of it. The Romanized Hebrew translation, those words are ketanet passum. And those words, ketanet passum, can be interpreted as royal garment embroidered slash has pictures long sleeved robe made of wool or fine silk or many colored so it is there's various interpretations yeah. of what that means i also wonder i mean the musical's going on and on with all these colors i'm like they didn't have all those colors at that time. i was hoping that they were you gonna list them you couldn't make all of those dyes at that time yeah there's probably like three colors available to you back then <laughs> Right? It's just like India. It's ink like my or something. yeah. It's like yeah. my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of with you. I'm yeah. kind of with you. Yeah. And then of course, like just linking the coat of many colors to the Dolly Parton song. Which, if you don't know the Dolly Parton song, listeners, like what is wrong with you? Why are you even listening to this podcast? Do we even know you? Turn it off right now Turn and go it off right now. Switch on over to the Dolly station. Yeah. But that's a story that she fr- apparently from her life where her mom made her this fabulous garment to wear for her first day of school. And it was all these different, it was a patchwork of all these different colors. And she goes to school and the kids laugh at her. But she holds on to how much it means to her and how fabulous she believes she looks, where they just think she's wearing rags. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like reframing, right? When you think about it from a, psychotherapy perspective look at you right so i do really love that song and that story although i always think like all of dolly parton's so all of her sevier county all of her like upbringing stuff is like all this big lie and her name's really like dolores and she's from brooklyn <laughs> like after a show she rips off her wig and oh. she's like bring me a jack and coke <laughs> right? you cannot spread dolly parton conspiracy i know i mean i i love her but the package is real listen every single year my family would go to gatlinburg which is Sevierville, and go to we we never went to dolly world but she's real dolly's real and she's made her stamp on that town that's all i'll Um, say my dislikes is the favoritism jacob playing it never goes well when a dad favors somebody it's never gonna go well for everybody involved but i don't think that's the point of it i don't think that's like the takeaway is don't play favorites that's not what that's not the point of the bible story here my likes are the story i think there's a message but i don't think that it's in this chapter i think there's gonna be i think this is a setup right this is a setup chapter so i'm here for the story i'm here for whatever the lesson is that i can pull down the line but i don't find one here all right i mean let's continue on chapter 38 oh jeez 
this one. So Judah, the son of Jacob, he marries a Canaanite woman, and he has three sons with her. Their names are Ur, Onan, and Shalah. Judah chooses a wife named Tamar for his son Ur, but Ur, and I'm quoting here, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God put him to death. So Judah tells his second son, Onan, to go to Tamar and do the duty of a brother-in-law and raise up offspring for your brother. Feeling that the offspring would not be his, Onan decides not to come inside of her and he spills his semen on the ground, which displeases God and so he gets killed too. So Judah tells her to go be a widow in her father's house until Shalah is old enough to marry her. After Judah's wife dies and he completes mourning, he takes Shalah to visit the sheep shearer. Tamar hears their coming and removes her widow's garments and covers her face with a veil. She sees that Shalah is all grown up and that Judah has not yet given her to marry him. Judah assumes that Tamar is a prostitute and propositions her. She agrees. He offers her a kid goat and she agrees. But she also says, I also want your signet, your cord and your staff as well. And he's like, "Okay, deal. And they have sex. Judah returns with the kid goat looking for, quote unquote, the prostitute. Everybody in town is like, there's no prostitute here. Three months later, Judah's informed that his daughter-in-law Tamar has, quote unquote, played the whore and is pregnant. When he seeks her out, he demands that she be burned. She then hands him his signet cord and staff. Judah then declares that she was right and he is wrong. She delivers twins. While delivering, one twin's hand emerges. They place a crimson thread around his hand, saying this one came first, at which point the hand retreats and the other baby pops out breech. His name is Perez. The second born with the crimson thread is Zara. Good job. Yeah. Did I miss anything or anything that you might put in there? No. Okay. You did great. I'm going to tell you that I did not read this properly the first time. (laughs) What does that mean? Like, there were a lot of things that I missed and I found, I'm very excited, I found us a really cool resource. I can't Which wait. I know I'm gonna tell you all about it, but right. my yeah, go for it. My general impressions are what the fuck. <laughs> like, um, this was definitely not in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This was not a storyline in there. This spilling the seed stuff. Oh, can I like? I think it's important to point out that Judah is Joseph's brother. Judah oh yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Judah is one mm-hmm. of Joseph's brother, and also. By default, Jacob, one of Jacob's sons. Yes, yeah. So this is a total side story, but yeah. Yeah, so this spilling of the seed, there's some crazy stuff in very conservative Christian belief and also on the interwebs about what this means in that um, it's about masturbation or masturbation being a sin. I even read something that said... Uh, oh, masturbation isn't the sin. The sin comes before that. The sin is the lustful thoughts that a person has. Hmm. This passage is not about that. It's not about whether you've masturbated or not or whether you had lustful... Of course you had lustful thoughts. You're you're supposed to be having sex, right? Like Making heirs. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what God kills him for is that he didn't follow... The instructions. God's not God's not mad that like you you masturbated or you had lustful thoughts. God's mad that you did not reproduce 
Yeah. That's always the goal, right? I thought of this as, like, excuse my French here, but, like, pulling out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is what it is, but people have taken this passage to 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 say that, like, you should only be having sex. I mean, I guess it does make sense. You should only be having sex to reproduce. Right. And they've also used it to to deter people from masturbating. Yeah. And and preventative measures. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what God's upset about here is you didn't reproduce. Onan's name is the root of the word onanism, which means masturbation. Coitus interruptus. It also means coitus interruptus, which I I understand. That's what he did. He mm-hmm. was like, okay, pulling out. Yeah. Which doesn't, is not what you should do, right? Like, pulling out is not a safe sex measure. I hesitate to tell people... <laughs> what they should do well yeah but i mean just you know yeah for you if you can get somebody pregnant you can also get stds like just yes it's not a safe sex measure yeah like it wasn't even a great idea on onan's part to begin with if he didn't want to reproduce right not Um, a foolproof way not a foolproof method uh some parallels so this is what i noticed like judah's clothing the signet the cord that she presents as evidence mm-hmm. of it was you, this is your child that I'm pregnant with, or your children that I'm pregnant with. It echoes the previous chapter of Joseph's clothing, right? Yeah. These garments as evidence. Like representation. Of something that yeah. happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, here's his bloody robe. He was killed by a goat. And now we've got, here's your signet and your cord and your staff. And this is evidence that you were the one who had sex with me. So just these, like, this parallel of clothing being presented as evidence, which then made me start to think a lot about folktales and fairy tales and clothing as transformation, which I thought was really kind of interesting because if you think about Joseph's robe or his coat of many colors, it transforms him at the beginning into, like, status, right? Like, Mm -hmm. almost like a deity in a way. And then he's stripped of that and he becomes a slave. Mm -hmm. So it's about transformation. Tamar uses Judah's clothing, his signet, his cord, his staff, and she is then transformed from a widow to now a woman with power. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is very similar to, if you think about, like, Cinderella, right? Cinderella goes from rags to this beautiful ball gown. Now she's a princess. She's got status. She goes back to the rags. But it's dependent on the shoe. And it's dependent on the shoe, which is that piece of evidence, Mm -hmm. right? This is the evidence of who I really am and I can become. So I just thought that was... Totally. I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I didn't make that connection, so thanks. I, I mean, that was what was running through my head, but, you know, they train us in grad school that you can't have your own thoughts, that you can't write a paper that's just your own thoughts. So fact check, I do, fact check, fact check. Yeah, I did have to, I did look around for, like, an interesting article that kind of supported that I'm not just alone in this thinking, which would be great if I was, but I'm not. <laughs> You're a genius. Yeah. Also, Perez and Zara, their birth parallels... Jacob and Esau's birth. This was interesting. Judah's wife was a Canaanite. And I was like, so I guess we're marrying Canaanites now. Yeah. Used to be like a big no-no. But now we can just... Get with the times. Yeah. So now we can just go and do it. My little question was, what did Ur do? And one ancient Hebrew interpretation... I, I did a little research. One ancient Hebrew interpretation is that Ur also purposefully 
did not impregnate his wife because he did not wish to spoil her beauty. So there's like legends and tales that go along with these things. And that's included in one of those. And then my other question was, did Tamar intentionally trick Judah? And this is the really cool resource that I found, which is from the Jewish Women's Archive. So we've been sort of looking for this faithful to the text, but strong feminist mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And they do this. They take these women and they they don't make things up, but they also find ways to really reframe them and view them in a in a positive light. Do you have some of yeah, this? Some oh, of I don't want to steal all no, of your thunder. Go for it. So just some like things that I don't think I understood upon reading it, but then when I went back and read it with this information, I was like, oh yeah, it is all there in the text and it just didn't pop out to me. Onan spills his seed because of economics. So according to, he doesn't just spill his seed because he doesn't want to impregnate her. Mm-hmm. It's that according to the estate and birthright laws at the time, doing this will actually make him less financially sound Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so that's one thing judah also considers her a lethal woman he views her as the cause of the deaths of his sons rather than because of their behavior Mm. and that god decided to kill them so he does this thing he puts her on pause he has the right to say hey you're a widow and now you can go get married But he doesn't do that. He tells her, go to your father's house and be a widow and stay there. And you'll marry Shalah. Right. Right? But then he doesn't deliver. But then he doesn't deliver. So he doesn't give her Shalah. So she's stuck. So she knows that he's not planning to give her to Shalah. And she's driven. Mm -hmm. She's got a plan. Mm -hmm. And she's described as loyal. The words the Jewish women's archive used to describe her are loyal assertive and unconventional Mm -hmm. so my dislikes there's a lot to dislike but nothing new nothing that right we haven't gone over before the takeaway of masturbation being a sin in in some christian views i think is very lame and a really awful takeaway and uh judah and of course all men in the bible are just horrible (laughs) just horrible people my likes i wrote down i like this woman Tamar is a woman with agency. She's taking risks. She's assertive. She's I'm cutting. I'm my head. I'm not yeah. my head. And she's demanding her place. What she's also not doing is she's not throwing another woman under the bus yes. to get there. <laughs> yes. Like, it's the first time, like, a woman's like, I'm doing this. I'm going to be a part of this master mm-hmm. plan. But I'm just minding my business and doing it on my own. Yeah. 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 So that's... That's where I was with that. Yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm excited to share. So I, I had a lot of the same thoughts that you did and a lot of complimentary thoughts mm. that I'm excited to share with you. So my general impression is lots going on, lots going on, <laughs> right? The, the being burned thing reminded me of being burned at the stake with witches and just like that as a general kind of discrimination against believing women and, and just villainizing women in general was an interesting... And you know what? That sentence, I did. My first read, I didn't catch that sentence. It is sandwiched in there. It's Lil. It's, it's so Lil. Lil. Burner. Yeah. yeah. She'll be burned. Yeah. Like, that's what? It. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently that's the execution style. But yeah, at first with the chapter, and this is a part of my general impression, is that it kind of started as like a begats thing. And I was like, oh no, it's mm. going to be a begats chapter. And then it very 
quickly was like, nope, this is, there's a lot going on. So my question is what slash how does the Lord quote, put someone to death? That's how it's, that's how it's worded in the, in the King Mm. or in the uh, New International, put someone to death. So I was like, that's interesting. Not sure what that means. Does that mean he just died suddenly? Like, does the Lord come down and like strike you? I have, I just don't know. You right. know, the Lord's been a little MIA, as I noted from the last chapter. So it was interesting to see him kind of just come into this chapter as absolutely nothing more than an executioner, basically. Mm, yeah. You know, so yeah. kind of very interesting, like MIA and then, oh, you're back and you're putting people to death with zero explanation. So I thought that was strange. My questions is, you know, how does Tamar think this is going to work? You know, I was really curious about like, why, why Judah? What does that do for her? I answered my own question, which I'm going to tell you later. I said, is she seeking value? And some of the things that I found were that, you know, this is probably a little bit more of that male perspective is that she's trying to preserve the line of Judah. You know, the same thing with Lot's daughters. Like, we got to preserve our line. I'm not buying it. I answered my own question here later, which I'll get to. Another question here, does the red string on the wrist mean anything? And will this come up again? Mm-hmm. Not sure. I also noticed the the Esau and Jacob parallels there with the red wrist, red hair, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. red, we don't yeah, have red. red hair, just red. Yeah. Red and hairy. So... I was confused. My, my Bible said that it was a cord slash staff that was given as this tribute, like kind of a down payment, basically, before the goat could be returned. Right. And I did some research on what that meant. And it's like a family seal that used to be worn on a cord. So it was very identifiable. To, yeah. Yeah. Very identifiable to, to Judah. So as I was researching my original question, which is like, how does Tamar think this is going to work? Is she seeking value? What's the MO here? I found this thing called, and I hope I pronounced this correctly, if you know how let me know leverate law leverate law yeah yeah yeah. so and that is basically it's used in areas where women don't have property rights okay and what it states is that if a married man dies without an heir his brother can marry the widow and that widow would have access to the family estate property all the things which you you mentioned a little bit right And this is used in Judaism, Islam, it can be used in parts of Japan, Africa. And it's also been used in some shows like Deadwood, which I've never seen before, Game of Thrones, and then a show called Hell on Wheels. This is something that has been used as like a plot, a plot driver, right? (laughs) So interesting there. My likes, the same as you, like I really like that Tamar took the situation into her own hands. She didn't throw anybody, well, any women, under the bus. And it's industrious, you know? My dislikes are that God or the Lord as an executioner or punisher, women as pawns, they stay with men until they're married. And that's, you know, this this whole, oh, go live with your father, live in mourning until we can get you some other man to take care of you. And just also this idea, and we've been talking about this in a lot of episodes of you know, fertility and heirs being this currency, right? But it's completely dissociated from sex. Mm-hmm. And and when we talk about Tamar going and, and when Judah finds out that she's become a, quote, you know, a prostitute, you know, and the immediate reaction is to burn her. It's just such a such a stark contrast, right, between being this vessel for life and that that the mode of that is sex, right? Right. But shaming sex in any other way. And we see that with the spilling of the seed thing that you talked about. It's just like, there's such a disconnection there. 
And there's such a shame associated with sex for any other reason than to procreate, which I think really plays into a lot of the stereotypes and biases that we see for the LGBTQ community and just anybody who who wants proper birth control and access to their own healthcare choices in terms of pregnancy and family planning. Well, and that's also, I mean, I know I was sort of making a joke earlier, but that's also what goes back to people making unsafe choices like right. let me just pull out right because <laughs> that'll be where's, fine yeah there, right. there needs to be there needs to be an acceptance and excluding shame from the conversation of, of how you talk about sex right. i think would be would do a huge service to everybody yeah so i thought i again like really identified with tamara's being just the strong character who took things into her own hands in a way that did not bring down other women and she's just a product of of her environment really right yeah she uses sex the way men use sex yeah to posture right posture right Yeah. yeah yeah i also noted on here in my dislikes just this kind of theme of like sneaky women you know like those <laughs> sneaky women which we're gonna see later on no spoilers but like just they're sneaky dudes too i mean totally there's a ton of sneaky tricksters dudes. Yeah. yeah it's just this very stark contrast between like how men can behave and how women can behave is very very different in this world in this world yeah. the bible and in this world but yeah very interesting chapter. Well, also, he, he's he got shame about having had sex with a prostitute. Totally. Because when he goes back to find the prostitute to give her the goat, he doesn't end up finding her and he doesn't push it because he doesn't want to tell anybody no. that he had sex with a prostitute. He's like, ooh, okay, yeah. you're good. No more burning. Uh, come on I'm, back home. I'm so glad you clarified what the leverate thing was because... That's what I'd started to read with the whole why Onan decided to spill his seed. And I was like, I cannot, I don't know. I just, this isn't where I'm going. So I'm glad you did. But yeah, that makes sense that if he got her pregnant, it would mean that she would get even more of the wealth and all of those children would not be considered his because he's doing this for his dead brother. So they would get even more of the wealth also. So Mm -hmm. they would get like... Her shares, their shares, which decreases the pot for him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, this is a stupid thing to do. I'll just let her float and right. hopefully end up with all the money. Right. Right? Yep. Judge Judy always says, no matter how you slice a pizza, it's always going to be the same pizza. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how many slices you have. We've had a lot of Judge Judy. Still the same pizza. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Are we I ready? watch a lot of Judge Judy. I I know. Do you want to take it away for chapter 39? 39. Okay. When Joseph arrives in Egypt, he is bought by Potiphar, who is, again, an officer to Pharaoh. Potiphar very quickly realizes that Joseph is favored by the Lord because Potiphar also starts prospering and having, quote, success in everything he did. Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his household. And because of this, it says in quotes here, uh, he concerned himself with only the food he ate. This is referencing Potiphar. The Bible notes that Joseph is well-built and handsome. So naturally, Potiphar's nameless wife asks Joseph to come to bed with her. Joseph refuses, but she's pretty insistent. 
Um, one day, Joseph arrives to the house. He finds that it's empty. All of the servants are gone. All of the staff is gone. And the only person left is Potiphar's wife. She insists that Joseph sleeps with her. But once again, Joseph denies. She insists, grabs his cloak, but Joseph dashes out of the house, leaving the cloak in her hands. His wife then tells an elaborate lie to Potiphar and Potiphar's guards that Joseph came in and tried to ravage her. And when she screamed for help, Joseph fled and left his coat. Potiphar, because of this, sentences Joseph to prison. And while he is there, quote, the Lord is with him. And the warden of the prison puts him in charge of everything around him. End chapter. So anything, anything missing? Did you, what does she tell everyone that he did? Ravaged. Okay. Tried to. Attempted to. There's some references in there, if I remember correctly, that like call him like a Hebrew and insinuated that this was some kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I put in that she claims that he tried to rape her. Oh. Which is, sort of comes into play in terms of his sentencing. I'll, I'll get to that, sure. though. Yeah. So my, my general impression is that, man, Joseph is just, he must be a trustworthy dude. Everywhere he goes, people are just putting him in charge of things. I think I referenced this in, in a previous chapter, but he just seems kind of easy to dislike in that way. I know, I know we're not supposed to. He's kind of supposed to be a hero in this tale, but he just... He seems like a goody two-shoes to me. He's a Fauleroy. Yeah. Like, like he's just... Yeah. He's, yeah. The, the other thing that I think was my big takeaway from here is that there's such stark comparisons here between the women in chapter 39 and chapter 38, right? We see this, like, sexual agency in chapter 38, and, and it's shunned, right? And in this case, there's sexual agency that is not returned and then also not shunned, right? Like, she's able to twist the story into her being kind of this victim and then, you know, ultimately, Joseph goes to jail for it, right? Right. I That kind of sent me on this little deep dive rabbit hole because I was really interested in this comparison and I found a paper that was written by a person named Mindy Thompson at Pepperdine University that's called Patriarchs, Prostitutes, and Potiphar's Wife, a study of Genesis chapter 38 through 39. Just in the way that we hear Tamar described, right, as like a prostitute and there's burner at the stake. I mean, there's no stake, but I'm assuming. Burn her. Yeah, burn yeah. her. And then in this chapter, even though we get this lens as the reader that no one really knows that Potiphar wife, nameless wife, by the way, tries to seduce Joseph. It's just, there's, there's no notion from whoever wrote this part of the Bible that it's, that that's bad or frowned upon for Potiphar's wife, right? She receives no punishment yet. We'll see. I, I don't, I can't tell you for certain. I don't know. The other thing that this paper kind of pointed out that I thought was really interesting is that this isn't the first time that we've seen trouble in Egypt for tricking someone's wife, right? We've got, or, or for someone's wife doing some kind of sexual trick, right? Right. Um, Abraham and Sarah, we know that story. And then Isaac and Rebecca, we know that story. This also brought up some, some instances from chapter 38 that I didn't realize until getting here that dressing up to trick someone is a, is Esau and Jacob, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we see that Tamar dresses up as a prostitute. She dresses in a disguise to trick Judah. So interesting little parallels here. 
in this deep dive, I don't know how true this is, but it's a, there's some suggestions that Potiphar was perhaps a eunuch mm-hmm. and that Potiphar's wife was trying to gain some kind of social or economic acceptance with this, with, an, with getting an heir. And that's also really similar to what Tamar was doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see these two comparisons. Again, the paper's written by Mindy Thompson from Pepperdine University, Patriarchs, Prostitutes, and Potiphar's wife, a study of Genesis chapter 38 through 39. Pretty interesting read if you're if you're interested in going on that deep dive. My my big question here is what is Potiphar's wife's name? I hate nameless women in the Bible. Like right. give them a name, yeah. please, God. And then my other question here is what's the difference between a harlot and a prostitute? We discussed this last episode. Yeah. yeah. Um the harlot was used in I can't remember, 35 or something. And is there a difference? There is a difference. So I I would I I think Harlot it's a, doesn't charge for it. Yeah, so part of the, Mindy Thompson's paper also is that a prostitute is actually part of Canaanite fertility ritual. Did you read anything about this? I saw something that, like, it was in the previous chapter. I didn't get into it, but something about temple prostitutes Mm -hmm. who not only served as prostitutes, but they also served as midwives. And they also maybe served as, like, sexual surrogates. Yeah. I didn't go into what the fertility ritual was. What I interpret from this is that it's like some form of acceptable yeah. prostitution versus a harlot is like for money and not acceptable. Right? Okay. So okay. and and keep in mind too that, that Tamar is labeled in the previous chapter as a prostitute. So that kind of tells me Well and that was it in the in the previous chapter what what I had read was that it is speculated about whether she was considered a temple prostitute and what the translation mm-hmm. is. Is she a temple prostitute or is she, is he looking for a prostitute? Right. And they've decided that he was just looking for a generic prostitute. Sure. Which is why he doesn't pursue the issue. Mm-hmm. Because a temple prostitute is obviously some sort of role or position that is acceptable and is a resource for the community. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which also just like, just to get it out there. We've said this before. Sex work is work. Yeah. Sex work is yeah. work. But I love that they're also involved in a ritual. It's almost yeah. sort of like spiritual and... Yes. But also the details of that seem murky. Oh, like maybe they're being used. In yeah. A, who um, knows? I'm speculating. Now I want to find out all about temple prostitutes. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll do... <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Mini sewed. Yeah. Temple, Temple prostitutes. So my my likes are drama, drama, drama. Like when I started Googling this to get some some backup resources, I saw a lot of classic tropes of like desperate housewives and like this is this is something. I mean, we can see this in a million different oh, shows, yeah. movies, books, yeah. you name it. It's a tale as old as time. My dislikes are just again <laughs> nameless women. And I'm gonna steal this this quote here from Mindy Thompson because I think that it makes so much sense the way that she describes this in her paper was like that the bible is so full of these women as shadow figures and shadow figures and mm. I'm putting quotes around and it's so true these nameless women that propel these stories and have a really big impact on things but we never learn anything about them no and it's very frustrating and again this like the desperate housewife trope it's just with women we have not seen a story with a woman that has not been somehow linked to sex yeah. Go for it, Dan. What yeah. Um, that's super interesting. I, I didn't focus too much on the parallel between Potiphar's wife 
and Tamar. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they are very similar. There might be details. I did read about the eunuch thing Mm -hmm. with Potiphar, and so maybe she wants to, like... She's trying to just cement her. Perpetuate that lineage. But I also just think people know that Joseph's touched by God, Mm -hmm. right? And where that comes in, he makes Potiphar's house prosperous. Mm -hmm. So he and his family are gifted, right? Wherever they go, there's prosperity. So I don't know what he's doing in Potiphar's house. Like, I don't know what his skill is because he tends to just interpret dreams. Mm -hmm. But apparently he's doing something that brings him prosperity. Just as Jacob can breed sheep and cattle and spotted and speckled things like nobody's business. And just like Abraham could could dig wells and build altars like nobody's business, they're touched. Mm -hmm. Which then for me also begs a question... Of, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did somebody acknowledge, like, these people are very successful, so they must be touched by mm-hmm. God? Or are they touched by God and that's why they're successful? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, because you're just because you're wealthy or just because you... I, I think in, in this day and age, certainly most people who are in the 1% are probably not the holiest people <laughs> that you'll meet. Sure, yeah. But they're following the rules. They're they're doing the lineage. And it's word of mouth. It's yeah. and, and now that I'm saying this out loud, like I hate that it's all also wrapped up in prosperity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so much of my per, my personal beliefs are all these like things that I sort of know about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't talk about those kinds of things that I know of. I'm so nervous to read the New Testament. Like I'm so afraid I'm gonna find out like Jesus is not the awesome person that I think he <laughs> that I think he was. But now I'm rambling. So let me let me get back to Listen, my we got a ways for Jesus. Let's let get me, back to Potiphar's wife. Let's get back to Potiphar's wife. So yes, again, clothing, personal belongings being used as evidence. This is the third time in a row. So she presents his robe ah, yeah. to say, look, he left his robe. He was here. He tried to attack me. What I did note here, Rachel, and I I know, I do think that Joseph is sort of, there's something sort of preening and something sort of uppity about him. Self-righteous? Yeah, I don't self-righteous. Know. I don't know. It yeah. might be Donny Osmond. It I is Donny Osmond. But, can, but yeah. what I did say is he's not a trickster. He's an honest person. He's too honest. Mm -hmm. And I think of all of these heroes in the Bible that we get to spend a lot of time with, he's so far the first kind of stand-up person. He hasn't, like, undercut anybody or thrown anybody under the bus. He's almost, he's too honest, Mm -hmm. as as we'll see soon. And as we've sort of seen, seen before, there's something, God is very comforting. I don't know if God is comforting, But the Bible tells us that God is comforting to Joseph. That says the Lord was with Joseph. This is when he goes to prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Also, the prisoners, I I like that he gets to care or be in charge of the prisoners that he's with. Like the prison guard ends up telling him, I see that God is with you. I'm not going to give you a hard time. In fact, I'm going to leave you in charge of the other prisoners. So there's also a sense that, like, now through him, God is looking after these prisoners, mm-hmm. which I, sure. I I kind of enjoyed. Yeah. I did find this lesson plan from some sort of Christian, like, Bible website for Sunday school. 
And I, I just want to read their version of this story Go for real it. quick. So the, the teacher is supposed to say, Last week, we ended our story with Joseph thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Potiphar's wife had made up a big lie about Joseph. She was so angry that Joseph wouldn't pay attention to her that she accused him of something he did not do. Joseph was thrown into the dungeon that was under Potiphar's house. Then the teacher is supposed to ask, it may seem that everyone had forgotten about Joseph, but who was with him? God was with him! There is nowhere you can go that God does not go with you. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, I've I always been curious of how they explain this to yeah, children. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with the ultimate takeaway, and, and I'll get into that in a second. My big question here is who is Potiphar? Potiphar. The Egyptian translation of his name is he who Ra has given. So Ra is like mm-hmm. the sun god. Egyptian sun god. Yeah. In Islam, he is known as Al-Aziz. There's a legend that he is the same as a Jewish priest mentioned later in Genesis, who is the father of Joseph's wife. Actual connection, however, is unclear. There's also a reading of Potiphar as not entirely believing his wife, hmm. which is why he doesn't have Joseph executed, which would be the usual crime for rape. And I, I don't want to say that it's necessarily my interpretation of it isn't necessarily, um, oh, I think you might be a good guy. It's this is a man of God. Like, He's got something. Mm-hmm. Like we got to be careful. Everyone with him. wants yeah. to be near the people who are connected to God. You know, like mm-hmm. Laban did it by trickery. Potiphar did it initially by like just keeping him in the dungeon mm-hmm. for safekeeping. Uh, my other big question was who is Potiphar's wife? In Islamic tradition, she does have a name, and mm-hmm. that name is Zuleika. Zuleika. Uh, in the Quran and the Jewish legends, she is. Initially mocked for her lusting after a slave boy, she's chastised by the women of Egypt for for her behavior. I guess what happens is she accuses him and she does the robe thing. I don't know. If there's a tear on one side, he Mm -hmm. did it. If there's a tear on the other side, he didn't, meaning like how he was grasped. Forensics. Forensics, right? Biblical forensics. Biblical forensics. Um, And it's actually found that he doesn't do it. And all of the women are sort of like mocking her and judging her for having tried to seduce this slave boy. So she invites all of the women to a feast of oranges and she parades him out in front of them and she hands them all knives with their oranges and as they try and cut their oranges, they all slice their hands open because they are just gagged at like how hot he is. Wait, where did you read this? (laughs) Are you? I read it on Wikipedia, but it was well, it was well documented. (laughs) I mean, this is, these are, these are legends, right? Mm -hmm. So these are like rabbinical rabbinical legends stories and also the um islamic okay versions okay so he's a cutie so he is a cutie and she says see can you blame me but she has him imprisoned anyway mm-hmm. so in those versions she has some kind of power where she can imprison him some jewish sources cite that she could see through astrology that he was destined for greatness 
and she wanted to be part of that. Gotcha. Which is also where I was going that like she wants Yeah, she's well, I'm gonna have his yeah. baby. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna have God's I'm gonna be part of this godly thing. Mm-hmm. Godly thing that's happening. I wrote that I actually don't have a lot of dislikes in this chapter. Like there's a part of me that's like, oh, why does this woman have to be portrayed as a sexual villain? But I don't wanna frame her as a mm-hmm. I don't wanna frame her as a sexual villain at all. Yeah. Like I don't have to frame her that way. And I don't know I don't know that the does the Bible say that she's a villain? No. That's what I noted. The difference between the Bible frames Tamar versus the way that they frame Potiphar's wife is drastically different. And why? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's just sexual agency. Well, and that was my like then. Yeah. So my next like, because I did read this thing about that Potiphar might have been a eunuch. I was like, okay, I like that this woman has sexual agency yeah. and power and she's using her power. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So my likes are that Joseph's not a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the first biblical hero that I don't have 50 problems with. He's perfect for a musical. He's totally Donny mm-hmm. Osmond. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Donny Osmond is like this smarty, vanilla, smarty yeah. vanilla Mormon. Yeah. Like, just the pure as the driven snow and a little agonizing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I do like that he's there for the prisoners. I like the connection I like that, you know, this connection of God or somebody who's a presence of God with prisoners, with people who are in prison. So, yeah, that's my story and sticking to it. Chapter 40. Here we go. The king's cupbearer and the baker are placed in prison. We know they're in prison because it is mentioned in one paragraph about four or five times. (laughs) Joseph visits them and they are troubled by dreams. Joseph offers to interpret their dreams for them on behalf of God as long as they remember to talk to Pharaoh for him. They agree to this. The cupbearer shares a dream of three vines which bloom grapes which he crushes for Pharaoh and places in his cup. Joseph tells him that this means in three days... Pharaoh will come for you and you will be restored to your position. The baker, hopeful with this outcome, shares his similar dream of having three cake baskets on his head filled with cake for Pharaoh, but unfortunately, birds begin pecking and eating it. Joseph tells him that this means in three days, Pharaoh's going to come and hang you on a pole and birds will eat you alive. (laughs) Sorry about it. And yeah. In three days, Pharaoh does come and restores the cupbearer to his role and hangs the baker on a pole. The cupbearer, however, never mentions anything to Pharaoh about Joseph or his dream skills as promised. My general impression, my first thing is just poor baker. How grisly. And the way it's written, it's just so matter of fact. Right. It's just like that. It's like, just, and then this happens. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I wrote that I love how emotionless the Bible is with this stuff. It's like, now your dream means that Pharaoh's going to come and get you and restore you, and you're going to be the baker again. And your dream means that Pharaoh's going to come and get you and impale you, you. On a pole, yeah. <laughs> and birds are going to peck your eyes out and eat you alive. Like, just. There's, yeah, just very, very funny to me. Mm -hmm. And the writing of the first paragraph just kills me. It's like, we get it. They're in prison. It's just like, so the cupbearer and the baker are sent to prison. And there's the guard because they're in prison. And then Joseph visits them because they're in the prison that they're in. It's like, okay, all right, girl, we've established time and place. It's fine. I don't even know what I meant by this, but I was just like, Joseph is a trip that he's so close with God. (laughs) 
don't even know what I, <laughs> I, I think it's just like what we've been commenting on that he's just so like hmm. yeah like, like let me tell you yeah like and he also just sort of like unaware of the stakes of his situation mm-hmm. yeah he's hmm. he's almost like a kind of like a doofus <laughs> very like when i said earlier about reading the room he just but again if those are his biggest yeah faults, i agree like, i agree this is the least of an asshole that we've met in yeah. the entire bible i agree the bible tells us that the lord is with joseph and joseph tells us that the lord is with joseph but so this is where i did that you asked this earlier in the episode of does it ever say that god is with joseph there's no quotes like god doesn't ha, has not yet anyway spoken joseph to joseph yeah it's not like joseph joseph yeah not the way he has with abraham no. and jacob but i guess maybe we can go with that he communicates to him to the dreams, dreams. Yeah. yeah. So my little question was, what is a cupbearer? And a cupbearer in this biblical context may refer specifically to someone being a butler. Mm-hmm. In, however, in royal courts and, and other versions of a cupbearer, and this may also have been like part of what his job was, is that a cupbearer is a position of high ranking that serves the king his drinks, makes sure that they aren't poisoned, and sometimes has to swallow the drink first to make sure. So it's very high, it's very high ranking, but also very high dangerous yeah. job. My big question, this is just like, we can, I just thought maybe we'd try and have fun here because it doesn't say i i I think your question's gonna be my question find no reason for it i guarantee you it's the same what did the cupbearer and the baker do that was my question (laughs) yes so let's talk like what do you did you come up with any ideas no well that that, this is my you're you're kind of stealing a little bit from my general impression here of just like this reminds me so much of like a fairy tale right right just like, a lot of missing yeah info. what's the fairy tale again with the pies and the crows coming out of the pies and the baker well, that's a that's a that's a nursery rhyme. sure four and twenty blackbirds thank you the pie. it just reminded me of of that Old king cole yeah, yeah like you know we're, pharaoh is very close to a king and it is a king and yeah so yeah i don't know do you think like the the baker didn't make enough pies for the banquet or like something like did, did potiphar's wife get to the baker too who knows well i i did make up some things yeah <laughs> I thought maybe Potiphar was going gluten free, and the oh, you baker... went full, you went full kitsch. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the baker didn't follow those rules and served him all this gluten, and Potiphar put on a bunch of weight. And I also wondered why was the cupbearer saved and not the baker? So like, why was right. one of them saved and why was one of them executed? I also wondered if the wife went after them also. Yeah. Potiphar's wife was going for them. And then I just also thought that because it's the baker that gets executed, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. the baker was trying to poison Potiphar and the cupbearer. Are they Potiphar's prisoners or the pharaohs? No, they're pharaohs. They're pharaohs. pharaohs. So maybe then my theory about the wife isn't a thing. Maybe the baker was trying to poison Pharaoh and the the cupbearer didn't do a good enough job of preventing it. Maybe. Right? Yeah. Or maybe like the cupbearer was like, oh, it's poison. I'm not eating that. Right? I know he did it. And so it's like, well, you didn't do your job and you tried to poison me. Mm -hmm. So you're both going, you're both going down to the the clink. Yeah. Those were my 
Those are my guesses. My dislikes, again, I don't really have any. It's just so fairy tale like mm-hmm. and silly. Mm-hmm. This whole all this stuff, it's it's hard to get too judgmental. It doesn't feel like part of the Bible. Yeah. Is the thing. Yeah. I said maybe I feel a little bit bad for the baker. Like maybe that's uh yeah. A crappy outcome. My likes, I the story, I'm still liking Joseph. Joseph also doesn't take credit. I know we feel like he's doing a lot of smarmy, sort of like, God loves mm-hmm. me. God's on my side. I'm with God. <laughs> but um, he's he does make a point to say, God is speaking through me. Mm-hmm. But he's not taking credit for this. Mm-mm. Also, he's 17 years old. Right. <laughs> Have you ever met a 17 year old who has a skill that they're good at? Because they will like flaunt that all over the place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's humble. Have you you met like a a, a really athletic 17 year old or like a 17 year old that knows how to finish that video game? Like, let me just kill this guy for you. Let me just let me just finish this board for you. Let me kill this guy. (laughs) Like, that's what kind of situations are you in? That's Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm not. I'm not mad at at Joseph. Yeah, I'm not mad at Joseph. Yeah. I I think he's just a easy He's, it's easy to understand why that rubs people the wrong way. He reminds me, who is it from SNL? Is it like Penelope or just like, yeah, I've been. Oh, I've the one upper. Yeah, Chris and Wig. Yeah. 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 I, went, I, went, I, I traveled up. Yeah. There's an alien in my mouth right now. There's a little one in my tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's. Sure. Joseph's a little bit like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Let me tell you what your dreams mean. Um, You're going to die. You're, you're not going to die. Yeah. You're not going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have too much different here. It felt very fairy tale to me. But I think it's just the note the baker. Just the word baker is like, oh, we're baking now? What do we have to bake? Well, yeah, like, what's going on? butcher baker, yeah. candlestick maker. Yeah. Very like four and twenty blackbirds baked right. in a pie. Yeah. Very fairy tale. I think you're right with the whole idea of he's a hero. He's hard to dislike. When you come down to it, we've got we we've had some tough acts to follow here. I mean, like Noah and and Abraham and and Jacob. Like they've all they all have these really glaring faults. Where Joseph, eh, I don't see one for him. Yeah, yet. Uh, and he and he feels like he's he's on the path of like do, trying to do the right thing, trying to do right by people. I I had the same questions of you, which is like what what did the baker do and what did the the cupbearer do? What is a cupbearer? So I didn't go on too many deep dives with that. Thank you for. I mean, I didn't go on a crazy. I, I, I like just googled looked, it. Yeah. I, yeah, like three three pages in, I was like, nobody nobody knows. No. This isn't a thing. No, like this is made up. Yeah, completely made up. Yeah, I agree with you on the idea that the Lord's with him and kind of protecting over these prisoners. I do think that's kind of a cool. We we haven't seen like this underdog story from like a societal perspective yet which i think is kind of interesting and that does kind of come up a little bit here like this is the first time we're hearing of a prison you know which tells us that like we've had this world building going on for for quite a while in the bible and like here we are in egypt and it's like established you know Mm -hmm. there's a hierarchy and there's a prison below potiphar's house according to the sunday school paper right i doubt it's behind or below potiphar's house but still down to the dungeon yeah yeah and then my dislikes are just that it's violent like with the, oh you're getting impaled or is it impaled well you're hung on a pole yeah Oof, and that sounds like impaling gonna be eaten alive yeah. by birds yeah i don't know if it's intended that they're gonna be eaten alive but like you're gonna die on the pole and birds are gonna yeah eat your carcass yeah so yeah. just violent and i couldn't help but read this and interpret it as a setup story because of 
watching the musical, like we know what's coming yeah. from this chapter. Well, we're in the story now. Yeah. So um, it's a setup chapter. Yeah. For sure. And now I'm so intrigued about like what is our problem with Joseph? <laughs> just self-righteous he's just a little self-righteous i think the somewhat like deeper thing is he is unfettered like i'm not saying that we like the other male leads of the bible but maybe they just seem more human Mm -hmm. you sort of said that earlier which kind of tipped me off like they do bad things and i feel like that makes them a little bit more identifiable whereas joseph is just this sort of like beaming yeah he's just going with the flow and yeah. trusting God. Yeah. Yeah. And so. we don't like that. Yeah, we're like, what? <laughs> What's the matter with this guy? Seems a little off to me. Right. All nice to everybody right. and talking but about we, God all the time. We all know those people where we're like... Right, we don't trust them. Yeah, it's like, come on. People who, yeah, yeah. I think queer people are a little bit like, oh, this person's like really right. like talking about God a lot. You don't have trauma? Like, what? And, yeah. Well, just people who are talking about God a lot mm-hmm. and have really strong faith and... You know, it, it is sort of like, mm. <laughs> So TBD, like, or TBC, to be continued. Yeah. This is a uh, setup. We're moving Joseph. into something more here soon. Joseph in the amazing, long, boring white robe. <laughs> right. According to my Bible. What a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so did you know that we have a poorly managed Instagram that you can follow? Doing. Oh, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're we're always we're like not misspelling things. We're not influencers, yeah. but I do think it's fun. You should follow the Instagram. We would love to get to know you, not biblically, <laughs> but we would love to get to know you. So please feel free to shoot us a message. If you feel like sliding into our DMs is a little too personal, you can also send us an email, if that feels less personal, at gaywithabiblepod at gmail.com. We made an email. That's so exciting. I know. Yeah, Yeah. I've been busy. (laughs) I made an email. (laughs) Yeah, email us. Uh, We are, so Dan, I don't know if you know this, but we only have three more episodes oh my gosh after this before we wrap our season one and then we have a lot of really cool surprises for you all for season two so please stay tuned we will keep you posted but if you have a story you'd like to share or an idea you feel so inclined you know what i want to know if you were in a production of joseph in the amazing technicolor dream coat you need to share those photos with us and they will go on our Instagram. I want your Joseph pics. Yeah. So reach out. Uh, we're going to be doing lots of fun stuff for, for season two and we're, we're getting prepared for that. So we can't wait to continue to engage with all yeah. of you. Next time, chapter 41, 42, 43, and 44. Because I know you're reading along. Okay. <laughs> Don't be late. All Class. right. <laughs> Bye. See ya. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to subscribe, follow, download, whatever you got to do on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast content from. You can also follow us on Instagram at Gay with a Bible Pod. We would love to have you follow along and be updated on all the latest from us. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.